0: Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, and I'm joined tonight by my good friend Dan, and we are going to be talking about the reissue of the Paul McCartney album, Flaming Pie. Dan, how are you tonight? Doing well, Scott. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, We are recording this in August of 2020. Uh, The world is a crazy place right now because of the coronavirus. We begin every episode by doing a little check-in. Dan, give me a summary of how you're holding up, what you're doing in your free time, what have you been watching, uh, what's going on?
1: Um, I'm holding up pretty well, um, you know, kind of taking things day by day, um, been doing a lot of uh, creative stuff, a lot of writing, um, which has been great, um, a lot of uh, listening to music. Um, I've gone through pretty much everything that there is to go through on Netflix, I feel. I went through the whole Tiger King phase. Um yeah which was really just, you know, um, kind of an experiment in how, you know, like mind over muscle kind of thing. Like my, my brain was telling me to shut it off, but my body just wasn't moving to to grab the remote control. Um, it's like a car wreck kind of deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've, you know, gone into watching old stuff. I, I, I went on a, a Save by the Bell tear the other week. <laughs> I watched it today. <laughs> awesome. yeah, it was just like, oh God, I feel like uh, like reliving uh, Save by the Bell. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just you know trying to keep uh, trying to keep busy and it's um, pretty much it. How about you?
0: Uh, well, I watched Save by the Bell in full House today. <laughs> so nice. I am going into vintage TV as well. Um, I've been watching this really good show on Hulu. Love Victor which I'm enjoying. It's based on the movie Love, Simon. a Very, very good show, and I see that it was renewed for a second season, which I'm really happy about. I just finished this show also on Hulu, although it's an FX show, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a vampire comedy. Very, very funny show. Oh, cool. Um, listen to music. Um, hanging in there. You know, just doing uh, doing the best we can, right? That's uh, pretty much each day one at a time. But then, right. tonight, we're going to be having a good time. We're going to be talking about Flaming pie. But before we get to that, I told you before we started recording, I had a little surprise for you. It's not, I shouldn't use the word surprise. It makes it seem more exciting than it is. But a while back on one of the social media services we're connected on, you asked me to post things about movies that have impacted my life. And I was very gung-ho to do this. And then things just got in the way and I was overwhelmed and I didn't do it. So I felt very bad about that. And tonight, because this is the Stuff We Love podcast and we talk about movies, what I want to do to start off tonight is give you a quick list of these movies that have had an impact on my life. So I am awesome. responding to your face, it was Facebook, your Facebook post. Right. And what I want from you is your quick reaction to each of these films I'm going to name. Okay. So these are movies that impacted my life. Willy Wonka and the oh. Chocolate Factory, Gene Wilder version. Oh, it was
1: a classic, classic. E.T.
0: Uh, oh, okay, go, go yeah. ahead.
1: I, I <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I mean, Willy Wonka is one of my favorite um, favorite movies of all time, and you know, I'll, I'll still uh, quote it every now and then, and you know, break into song. E.T. was actually the first movie I remember seeing in the theaters. Okay, um, and cried at the end, but I think everybody oh. cried at the end. Yeah, I still do. Yeah, it's hard to watch. It's emotional. It's very emotional.
0: It's emotional. Cinderella the like original, um, the Disney animated classic.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I always like Cinderella. Um, I think I I love, I love Jacques and Gus. Yes. You know, I feel like they make the movie, um, especially, you know, uh, when you're, uh, not wanting to be a princess.
0: (laughs) That is true. That is definitely true. Ooh. I think when I was younger and I was watching Cinderella, I, I think I probably that was one of the first crushes I had was on Cinderella. She
1: was she was cute. She you was, was cute. For, for, an, for an animated uh, character. Yeah. She was cute. Um,
0: by the way, what's your favorite Disney movie?
1: My favorite Disney movie? of um, uh, Animated.
0: Yeah. Animated, animated. Disney
1: movie. Um, it's kind of tough, but if I had to choose, it would be Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Great movie yeah why um you know it's it's i just always love the uh the story you know i i i was into pirates when i was young so that pulled me in sure. um and I, you know i've just always liked the theme of like uh holding on to your childhood you know yeah. you could grow up and still keep a little bit of uh neverland in your heart kind of thing so that that always appealed to me um I
0: even like as that. a kid yeah good 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 uh, yeah so here's It was some either
1: other between that or The Jungle Book.
0: Another classic. The
1: Jungle Book was the other one. And, and that was just because I always loved uh, the music, "Bare Necessities, and I Want to Be Like You, and all that stuff. Was great stuff.
0: Those songs, to me, are standards, just like uh, the Great American Songbook. I, I kind of put them in the same category. Yeah, definitely. Going down my list here, Field of Dreams.
1: You know, I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, like, that's one of those, like, love the movie. Um, great, great baseball film. Yes. Um, one of my, uh, first, uh, experiences, uh, you know, with, uh, James Earl Jones outside of Darth Vader. Um, great film. I, I wish I, I I wish I would watch it more than I have. Um, in recent years It's one of those ones that like, I own it. It's on my Netflix or my uh, iTunes. And, uh, Every now and then, I'll be like, oh, Field of Dreams, haven't watched that in a while.
0: I'm going to tell you a quick Field of Dreams story. I once met James Earl Jones, and I told him that I recently got Field of Dreams on DVD. And this was kind of right around when DVDs first were a thing. And right. he said to me, do you think they're going to make the DVDs smaller? And I don't remember what I said in response to that question. Little did we know, there would be no DVDs. No me. DVD. You,
1: know, <laughs> you was just. Jones, it's not even
0: going to be this anymore. You're going to be able to watch it on your phone. <laughs> 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 Little did we know. But, um, okay, next up, Psycho, the original, not the, uh, Vince Vaughn, but the Alfred Hitchcock Psycho.
1: Well, the, the Vince Vaughn was an abomination. Um, <laughs> don't know why that was even made. Um, I mean, the original Alfred Hitchcock Psycho is, is a, a brilliant, brilliant film. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of set the tone for the modern horror movie. Agreed. Um, you know, you see it, um, One of the things that I love about how the movie is set up is that it's and we were I I think we were robbed of the effect of the film because it had been out by the time we were born. It had been out for 20 years. Right. And we grew up knowing about Norman Bates and, you know, what the whole reveal at the end was. Right. Um, So when I watch it, I try to imagine what it must have been like in 1960 to sit in the theater and yes. watch it for the first time. And how the first half hour or so of the film, it's an entirely different movie than what it becomes. I mean, you're invested in the Janet Lee character, you think this is gonna be some kind of heist movie. Yes. And then she gets to the hotel the motel, she meets Norman, you think that there's gonna be some kind of romantic thing there that you know, they're both trapped and you know, there's like this uncomfortable kind of flirtiness happen. Sure. And then she gets in the shower and she's killed. And then the whole movie changes and it's brilliant. By the way, spoiler
0: and- <laughs> alert, spoiler alert.
1: Well, I, I think everybody knows I think that, that, right? We know that. Um, and then the whole film changes and, and, and um, it's incredibly well written. Yes. Um, incredibly well directed. And it, it, it was the, uh, it set the template for the modern horror film. And you see it in like the exorcist. Um, you know, you sit down to watch the exorcist, the first 45 minutes of that movie, yes. you're sitting there going, what's the big deal with this? This isn't scary at all. And then, you know, she comes downstairs and pees on the carpet and it's all, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, it's off, uh, off and running. And you're, then you realize why, um, it's such a frightening film, but, um, that, that all comes from psycho. It all started there.
0: Yeah. There's something still unbelievable about seeing a main character in a movie get killed halfway through the movie. It's not even over. Mm -hmm. It still is jarring. There's a great documentary. It was on Hulu. I don't know if it's still on there. I forget the name of it, but I saw it all about the shower scene and how it was filmed and the impact Mm -hmm. of that scene on future horror films. Really good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'll try to find. let you know what it is. I think you'd like it a lot. Nice. Uh, Your description of Psycho right there made me want to watch the movie again. Oh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now this next one may throw you for a loop. Dracula, and I love the Bela Lugosi, but I actually put the Francis Ford Coppola directed Dracula with Gary Oldman on there.
1: Um, It's an entirely different
0: movie. Um, Let me explain real quick why I put that on there instead of the original. That came out, I think, 1992. I remember going to see it when I was 12. My parents took my brother and I to the movies to see it. So my brother (laughs) and it's kind of a weird movie for parents to take their kids to, especially because there's a very pronounced nude scene in the film. But... um, I think that was one of the first really scary films that I saw in theaters. And I love horror movies. And that was one of the first cinema experiences I had with the genre. So um, I I know that movie kind of gets kicked around a lot. I really enjoy it. I think it's a solid film.
1: You know, I I think it gets kicked around because, again, it's one of those cultural things. Uh, The Bela Lugosi Dracula really, I guess, defined the character for a whole generation of people since the 1930s. Um, the Francis Ford Coppola version is very much linked to the original, the source material, the Bram Stoker novel, Mm -hmm. and it's a different story than the Bela Lugosi universal Dracula. Right. Um, and, and I think people were expecting that like a remake of that story. And it's not that, um, it's gothic horror. It is very you know very different kind of film um and yeah it's uh, it is an interesting um uh choice of film for you know a 12 year old and <laughs> but um but I, I i enjoy it too i like the the, the uh francis that Word makes me feel good. dracula
0: that makes yeah. me feel good to know i'm not alone on that now what about nah. this next one ghostbusters 2
1: um ghostbusters 2 it's still a class not as good as the first one yeah. But uh I still love it and um I feel like sometimes I end up quoting it more than the the first film. Um especially like the whole uh, uh the, I mean the Peter McNichol character. Yeah. Is, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> what his name? Is, and, yeah. Uh, Janos. Is Janos? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, good yeah.
1: call. Good good call. Um, just uh, uh really so many like classic lines from that character.
0: (laughs) It's a great Um, film. Another film I haven't seen in a while. I really should watch that.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those ones where, you know, I don't know why I tend to watch the first, Mm. uh, probably because like, you know, it just brings me back to, uh, being a kid. Yeah. Good film.
0: The original King Kong,
1: the original King Kong. I mean, it's another, again, it's one that I haven't watched probably as much as I should.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but it's it's a classic, um, and they've tried to remake King Kong numerous times, and sure. none of them has, have been as good as
0: the original. The 10th, okay. Singing in the Rain. Uh,
1: uh, an excellent movie musical. Yes. Um, very I
0: think feel-good film.
1: Very feel-good film. Um, pretty close to, to um, a perfect musical, I think. Uh, it's not the perfect musical, but it's pretty close. So, um,
0: go ahead. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, my opinion, the perfect musical is uh, is My Fair Lady.
0: Yes, that uh, uh, one of my favorites. But uh, but um,
1: singing in the Rain's close.
0: My bonus film is another musical, The uh, Sound of Music. Julie Andrews, classic.
1: It is a classic. Yep. Yeah. Um, I had the misfortune of that being overplayed for me. Um, Yay, don't just like yes. it but like I, th- I think for some reason um easter weekend my grandmother had like a thing with watching mm-hmm. the sound of music and um and uh, when i was a kid you know I, I i liked it as i got older i would be like again we have to watch the <laughs> sound of music you know and then i didn't understand why they were so happy and cheerful and singing like you know it's the eve of World War Two. The Nazis are invading and they're right. you know, singing about goat herders. <laughs> but, uh, but it is it is a classic film, uh classic musical. You gotta love the sound of music.
0: Uh Dan, so so that was how I wanted to start tonight. I wanted to apologize for not responding on Facebook, but I wanted to give you a podcast platform with the world listening to uh, <laughs> to, to respond. Uh no. before we get to Beatles stuff, I'm gonna yes. ask you this question. Do you have a favorite movie of all time?
1: I feel like I feel like that's a tough question to answer uh, to to ask anyone. I feel like in in a way we're all. Um, if you remember uh, Friends, back to you know the old episodes of Friends, and um, and and Rachel had two favorite movies: the one she told everyone was her favorite movie, and the one that was really her favorite movie.
0: Do you remember and what they what she, were? Yeah,
1: the one she told everyone was Dangerous Liaisons, <laughs> <laughs> and. And her actual favorite movie was weekend at Bernie's.
0: Right. Right. Uh,
1: But so I think, I think sometimes it gets into that, like, um, cause there's so many different genres and, and things that we, uh, you know, we enjoy. I I have to say that if I had to pick an all time, like favorite movie, it would probably be um, would probably be Jaws.
0: That almost made my list. I, lo- I mean, it's it's a great film. Love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, when great you go film. to the beach, do you think of that movie every time? Yes. Do yeah. you have a fear of swimming in the ocean because of that movie?
1: I don't, but my sister does.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. I my do. My sister has I, a fear
1: I, of, of swimming in the ocean because of Jaws. Um, and again, yeah. it, you know... Uh, uh, classic, almost l- very, very much like Psycho, you know, a classic uh, musical theme that, you know, just really two notes. But um, especially if you're on the beach, you start humming that and, uh, you know, you can get someone really freaked out.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you something about the theme, I'm gonna, but I'm going to hold off till the end for the Stuff We Love segment because it ties into this. <laughs> okay. um, so, Dan, Flaming Pie.
1: Flaming Pie. Oh uh,
0: wow! Have you heard of the artist that recorded it? His name is Paul McCartney.
1: It sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar. Um, he was in a band, right? He was, in, wasn't he in a band wings. in the '60s? Wings. The, qu- uh, well, the, Quarrymen. wings yes. the Quarrymen. Oh man, Flaming Pie! I, I still remember um, going to buy that on the day it came out. Uh, going, yeah, going to your house after school, walking across to the mall, and buying flaming pie and it was right. And yeah, it was, I mean, two years really removed from it, but it felt like because of how things were released right on the heels of the anthology. Yes. Um, and it was like the next big for us, the next big Beatles release was, um, going to get flaming pie and, uh, and an excellent album. Excellent album.
0: Do you, I, I know when I look back on that time period, even though it wasn't a Beatles album it was a Paul album because we were coming off of the anthology and there was so much promotion around that time. It mm-hmm. felt like it had, I don't want to say the same magnitude of the Beatles release, but it was a very significant event. The release of that album.
1: It was, it was, I think there were a couple of, um, couple of, of elements to that. I think one was coming off of the anthology. Mm -hmm. And we had just really been in the midst of like this re almost like this, this reigniting of Beatlemania, you know, because I felt like, and I, and I remember, um, you know, uh, us in like 1993, 94, like being into the Beatles and there weren't many other people that were into the Beatles.
0: Not like we were
1: not like we were. Um, and then all of a sudden in 95 and the anthologies came out, then now all of a sudden everyone was, you know, a Beatles fan again, kind of thing. Yes. Um, and between the and documentary you were into them music- before
0: I was, you were, you were definitely when you first got into them, I think you were really alone in the school. There were a couple of other people that were fans, but it was not like you just said in terms of the anthology, making it a way. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, I was, a. a, a a Beatles fan um when people were you know uh all into Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that and I liked that stuff. Sure. Um but uh but you know the Beatles were to me um where everything started. Yeah. And um I remember having lots of arguments with people like that. I remember having an argument with someone over, you know, um who's a better
0: band, the Beatles or Oasis. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, I I don't even know what to say, but I do have a memory of being in the car with someone who we went to high school with and his mother was driving and the Oasis song live forever was on the radio. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a great song. I think that's a tremendous track. And I remember our, our high school classmates saying, yeah, they're the new Beatles or something like that. You know, those were in effect, his words. Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, something else I wanted to mention to you about that whole time period is do, I was going to ask you do you remember when Flaming Pie came out there was this whole promotional push on VH1 they had a Paul McCartney week where every night they had McCartney programming they showed Rock Show the concert with Wings mm-hmm. uh, there was a town hall hosted by do- John Fugelsang Yep uh, there were other there was a, a documentary I think called The World Tonight which is included in the box set of Flaming Pie here Mm-hmm. Um it added to the, the gravitas of the moment. It was all part of this major release where it yeah. felt like really big deal.
1: Yeah. The the only thing that was lacking from that week of promotion, they didn't show give my regards to Broad Street, and I don't know why.
0: Do you like that movie? <laughs> I, I mean, do you find things in there that are fun? <laughs> there are things that are fun. I mean
1: it's uh you know, it's one of those things where you'll you'll watch it and you're like I mean, it's the eighties. You got, you got them some Slack. It's the eighties. Uh, but and you know, the, I think the other thing that was an issue with that, um, was the re-recording of Beatles songs, um, for, for that whole project.
0: Did you not um, like that?
1: I, I didn't mind it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fine from, you know, uh, where, from Paul kind of revisiting them. Um, but I could see where like critics have a hard time with that. Sure. Or other people might have a hard time with that because it, it almost enters like sacred ground. Like you don't, you don't go there kind of thing. Right. Um, but I mean, there's, it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's I uh,
0: I don't hate know, it. it. I really I don't, don't hate, hate it, it either.
1: I don't hate uh, it either, but
0: yeah, that's uh, there's I worse things person. out there. Definitely. I should have put that movie on my list.
1: You should have put that movie on your list, yeah. Uh,
0: There was something else I was going to say, too, about the release of Flaming Pie, which is that I think there are, there's different levels of Beatles fandom, right? I would put you and I at the top level of that fandom. We get every release. We listen all the Mm -hmm. time. The band changed our lives, really, I think. Right. There are other people who are more casual Beatles fans, where they'll like the Beatles and they'll know the work of the Beatles, but when it comes to the solo careers, they'll be a bit dismissive at times, especially a Paul stuff some of his solo work. And they just don't know as much about it. That's not a criticism. It's just a an observation mm-hmm. I have. There's at least one person I know who falls into that latter category who says how much of a fan they are of Flaming Pie. And I think it's because it was released on the heels of the anthology. It was all part of this particular time period. And they gave the album the chance uh, that they normally wouldn't, that they haven't given to other Paul solo albums. So mm-hmm. when Paul releases an album now, they're probably not even going to listen to it on streaming services. But Flaming Pie, because it was re- released right after the anthology, they got it, they listened to it, and they liked it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there was something, too, that uh, even at Paul at the time, I remember him saying something that along the lines of he was doing this work on the anthology and was reminded of the quality of songs that they made right. um, as the Beatles and wanted to make a record that reflected the same quality as of the work that he did as a Beatle. And I think that also kind of adds to the lure of the album for people. Mm -hmm. But if you look at that time period of, of the late from 1989 to 97, Mm -hmm. you know, Paul put out flaming pie included three really, really solid solo albums, starting with flowers in the dirt and then off the ground and flaming pie. It was kind of a a re Surgeons of his solo career after the slump that was, you know, the post broad street, late eighties press to play kind of era.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and really if you listened, I feel like if you listen to, um, almost as a trilogy, if you listen to like flowers in the dirt off the ground, um, flaming pie back to back flaming pie is like the next logical progression forward. Agreed. From what he started, doing in
0: on flowers in the dirt i agree with that flowers in the dirt to me even though it was late 80s is still an 80s sound and i love it Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal album but when you listen to some of the tracks like motor of love it's got an 80s feel to it Mm -hmm. my brave face tremendous album but very 80s off the ground is very much early 90s um Mm -hmm. And then Flaming Pie to me, it just fits in well with the late '90s. A little bit heavier on the, on some of the instrumentation. At least it was mixed in a way that that came across heavier. The World Tonight right. wouldn't have fit in well on off the ground, for example. I don't think. Right. I think it was a bit too heavy for something like that. But uh, I do agree with you. There there was this progression of albums that continued mm-hmm. even after Flaming Pie. Uh, right. He probably couldn't. I, I'm trying to think. What was his next album after Flaming Pie? Was it uh, not Chaos and Creation?
1: No, after, uh, immediately after Flaming Pie was Run, Devil, Run. Run,
0: Devil, Run, then Driving uh, Rain.
1: And then Driving Rain. Right. Um, and, you know, Run, Devil, Run was, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of look at Run, Devil, Run and Driving Rain as kind of like his grieving period, because that was right after Linda passed. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think they're not on the same level as Flaming Pie or Chaos and Creation. But, Definitely. um, you could, I feel like this was, you know, his, um, kind of going through the grieving healing process. I um, look at run
0: devil run is a very distinct album in that mo- most of the tracks were older songs. There was one article, Ooh. which was in Beatle fan magazine, not too long ago, looking at run devil run. And they said it was almost, if I recall correctly, it was almost McCartney's way of after the, the immediate grieving period coming back with, uh, a flashback to his youth, kind of getting back yeah. on track to what inspired him. And I'm, from that perspective, it holds up very well. And I, I do, mm-hmm. I do like that album driving rain. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a McCartney fan who says that's among McCartney's stronger albums. It's not, it's, it's just not, it's
1: not, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a weak album. Even the, the single releases from driving rain right. aren't, aren't great. Um, but then chaos and creation was like, Again, a reminder of, um, of how great, uh, he could be as a solo artist. And, um, it almost sometimes in my mind, uh, it's unfair. I kind of erase, um, driving rain. I kind of forget about it and it's like flaming pie and then chaos and creation. Sure. Um, yeah, which you, which you actually just did, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: did that, too. Right.
0: Is, what you just described, our listeners have experienced in real time <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast this evening. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan, as we're getting ready to talk about the album, Flaming Pie, I, w- I was actually thinking we could go in a little bit of a different direction. Normally, we would go track by track. But I thought right. maybe we would tonight kind of mention – some highlight tracks that are among our favorites. And then perhaps some of the tracks that are not at the top of the album. And why don't we begin? Let me ask you to give us your overall thoughts on the album. I know you said earlier that you are a fan of the album, but can you elaborate on that?
1: Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think it shows Paul at, um, you kind of mentioned it, um, earlier on a lot of people are critical of, Beatles solo work. And a lot of people are critical of, uh, of Paul as a songwriter. Um, he gets this reputation for being like the trite Beatle, the whimsical Beatle. Um, you know, John was the, the, the thinker and like the edgy one. And, and Paul was like, you know, wrote silly love songs. And, um, Mm. but you know, you forget, what a gifted songwriter he is. Right. And flaming pie is one of those albums where it's like, if you want to see how good of a songwriter Paul McCartney is, listen to flaming pie, yes. because there's a lot of great songs on there that show why he's one of the greatest songwriters of all times, both as part of the Lennon McCartney songwriting collective, which, you know, a lot of those were, were although credited to both of them, they, they, were solo written songs by each of them. Um, And I mean, Paul's written some of the greatest songs of all time yesterday. Hey Jude. Um, And it continued into his, uh, into his solo career as well. And um, Flaming Pie has a lot of examples of them.
0: So along those lines, if somebody said to you, okay, so you say the album showcases some examples of how great a songwriter McCartney is. Give me one track from the album that you think showcases that. Just one track? Well, we're uh, going to talk about a few. But like, if if somebody said, "Okay, you, you want to hear," you should get, give me just just pick one right off the top of your head that you think showcases his amazing songwriting ability.
1: Um, Calico Skies.
0: Okay, and why do you choose that track? That's track six on the album. I'm showing off a little there. Sorry for. I'm putting on a putting on a no no no. Go ahead. No, why no, do you why you choose Calico Skies? Um, because
1: of um. I think it shows his gift for, um, lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, right. You know, again, you know, he gets this reputation for being like the, the trite beetle. And I guess when you look at, you know, uh, songs like my love lyrically, there's not a lot there, but, um, you know, you listen to something like Calico skies and, um, Lyrically, he's painting a picture, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know. And I think, uh, if memory serves me, he wrote this um, on Long Island after a hurricane. Forget which one. Um, And uh, he's kind of painting a picture of. It's one of those things where you listen to the words, you can close your eyes and you can see, you know, the story that he's he's telling. You can picture it, Um, and it's a gentle it's a love song without being a like in your face kind of you know oh baby love song right um and musically it's 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 excellent um and again it shows a strong gift for melody so you see all sure. three all three aspects of songwriting present
0: and Dan, you mentioned the lyrics in Calico skies i'm just going to briefly read the opening <laughs> Mm-hmm. A paragraph from the song. Uh, it was written that I would love you from the moment I opened my eyes. And the morning when I first saw you gave me life under calico skies. That to me is poetry. Anybody that mm-hmm. says that Paul is a little cheesy with the lyrics, listen to that song. Listen to those lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would argue and I know you would agree with me on this, Dan, that even something like silly love songs, which the Paul haters love to cite as the track that's mm-hmm. the ultimate. Sh- I, I love that song. To me, it's even the lyrics in there. I think are meaningful. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah.
1: he doesn't get the credit for being as um, introspective as John. Right, and he really did have that ability. Like I, I say a lot that I feel that another day. Um, which I think was his first like major hit after the Beatles breakup I is believe that's probably true. Yeah. one of the most effective songs about depression that's ever been written. Right, because it's very um, you know people that deal with depression, you know, on a daily basis. It's kind of it's not this like melodramatic thing. It's kind of like walking. Through life in like a haze,
0: right. You're going through, and if you look, you, yeah.
1: And if you listen to the lyrics of that song, sure, he captures it perfectly. He does, know? and and, um, and you know, people focus on the silly love songs, um, the ebony and ivory kind of thing, you know. Uh, Great but, song. Great uh, song. There's a lot of a uh, lot of examples of Paul writing, like you said, pure poetry.
0: Agreed. When we talk, uh, so when you mentioned Flaming Pie having great examples of songwriting, one of the tracks that came to mind right away for me was the closing track, Great Day, Mm -hmm. which, like Calico Skies, is very much an acoustic-based track. Mm -hmm. And uh, from what I understand, that had been a song that had been in his catalog for a while. It wasn't written specifically for Flaming Pie. I think he said that he would play it with Linda. Uh, And it showcases their harmonies and how well they sang together. Uh, It's a very inspirational song, kind of uh, uplifting to listen to, actually, during these times that we currently find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And it's not as complex as some of the other tracks on the album or as some of the Beatles stuff, but it's simplistic to the point, catchy, and good. Lyrically, Calico Skies is better, Mm -hmm. but... um, it's simple and to the point. It's an example of this gift that McCartney has that other that, that John did too, that they could just come up with this unbelievably catchy melody. That'll be in your head for the rest of the day from the minute you hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, continue with your thoughts on flaming pie.
1: Um, I mean, I think you have uh, a lot with the album that, it managed to uh, kind of harken back to the Beatles, um, I guess, type of approach to songwriting and sound with also sounding, like you said, very modern Mm -hmm. um, and very late eighties, late nineties, sorry, very late nineties. I think one of the, the reasons for that is I think you have to give some credit to Jeff Lynn. Sure. Um, and the work that he did on the record. And, you know, um, it is, a sh- I feel like it's a shame that more people, when you say the name, Jeff Lynn, don't know that
0: name. They don't know. Um, yeah. No, they wouldn't don't know. know
1: who's right. Who's Jeff Lynn. Um, and not only is Jeff Lynn phenomenal for the work that he did with electric light orchestra, right. but I mean, he's responsible for producing a lot of very big albums of that late night, late eighties, early nineties period. I mean, the work he did with Tom Petty on full moon fever and, um, and, uh, also with, uh, George on cloud nine and then the uh, traveling Wilbury stuff, um, Mm -hmm. a great gift behind the, 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 uh, council in, uh, as a producer. And I think he brought a lot to the sound of that album. Um, and you can kind of hear it on, you know, with the new release that has the home recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to the home recording of the world tonight, and right. then listen to the final cut of it, you, you kind of hear the Jeff Lynne
0: touch on it. That that brings is the song, song that to came life. to mind when you were speaking here. Mm-hmm. So you 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 mentioned this nine, late '90s sound but with this classic Beatles-type sound. And to me, The World Tonight is a good example of that because one of my favorite moments in any Paul solo song is towards the middle of that very rocking, heavy track where it gets very acoustic sound, in, and there's the psychedelic voice where mm-hmm. he says, I can see the world tonight, and it's very pepperish in terms of the way it sounds.
1: Right, right. Um, and yeah, that's definitely a, that's a Paul you know, hearkening back to the, uh, the Beatles thing. Yes. Um, but that's also a, you know, a, a, Jeff Lynn, uh, thing as well. Cause you, you, you could kind of see him saying, well, why don't we put a thing like that in there? You know, cause, uh, if you think about it, electric light orchestra built their career around basically, you know, what they said when they started was they wanted to, to, um, move forward from where I am the walrus left off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that, um, that influence shows up again. You
0: know? Another track, I guess that fits this description of late nineties with vintage type sounds would be the title track flaming pie. Mm-hmm. Because when, you know, you get, you, you get a nineties sound to it. And then in the, uh, the parts of the song where it just goes to Paul playing piano, that to me is Martha, my dear. That's kind of yeah. like this, uh, or you gave me the answer from Wings, you know, mm-hmm. similar concept. Little Lady Madonna. Little Lady Madonna. Yeah, Lady Madonna. Perfect yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about your thoughts on the Steve Miller collaborations on Flaming Pie. So I guess that would be Young Boy, which I, did, I think Paul wrote that and Steve Miller played slide guitar on it, right?
1: Yeah, he, uh, Paul wrote it. Steve, played, uh, Steve Miller played guitar on it.
0: And um, If You Wanna, I guess, was the other track that they worked on together. Right, right. For me, uh, I'll be honest with you; they're not at the top of my album ranking list. Um, but what are your thoughts on it? And I like them, but I, I wanted your thoughts on those tracks.
1: I I like Young Boy. Um, I, I think it's a I think it's a great song. Um, it's great guitar work by Steve Miller. Um, used to be bad. as kind of like a.
0: Oh, it Used to Be Bad it was another one. There were three it used tracks.
1: Used to be bad, yeah, it was another one. And and if you wanna two are kind of just like uh, more jammy. Right. Um they're not horrible songs, um, but it's not to the level of some of the other tracks. Um and I think I think that was uh it's cool, you know, to to to, to see that um reconnection. Um because Paul uh first connected with Steve Miller in, um, 1969 when they were recording, uh, Beatles were recording Abbey road. Mm -hmm. Um, and Steve Miller was recording, um, one of his albums, um, in London at the time. And, uh, that was the first time that they connected and Paul actually plays on a Steve Miller track from that record, um, called my dark hour. Um, yeah, that's, uh,
0: Can I can I tell you something right here real quick? Sure. So I, uh, the Fest for Beatles fans was supposed to have an in-person convention in Chicago last weekend, but because of the uh-huh. pandemic, they had to do it virtually. And um, there was a Beatles... I, I actually paid the $44 or whatever to get it, and I'm enjoying watching all the footage from it. But during the Beatles trivia show, the uh, question was, what is the track, the Steve Miller track that Paul played on? And I... I was getting all these answers right. I didn't know that track. And one guy on the show did, and they were blown away by his Beatles knowledge that he knew the name of that track. And so you, my friend, also <laughs> have gotten that track. And it, to me, yeah. speaks volumes just to how qualified you are <laughs> to be talking Beatles. time. <laughs> not that I ever Thank questioned you. it before, but it's uh, it's you. crazy that I would hear that thing. Uh, I, I I really was not familiar with that track, I must say. And I'm hearing about it two times in a week, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah.
1: Um, The interesting thing about My Dark Hour is, um, yeah, Paul played bass on it. I think he played bass and drums, actually. I have to double-check that. But um, uh, Steve Miller had this, um, I guess, habit of taking, reusing ideas from past songs on future songs. So you know, like he had a song called space cowboy and a song called gangster of love that both ended up in the lyrics of the Joker. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the main guitar riff from my dark hour, um, was reused in, uh, fly like an Eagle. Okay. Uh, so another little piece of trivia there that comes from that jam with Paul. So did not um, know that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, interesting stuff, but, um, it's cool to see them reconnect on flaming pie Mm -hmm. But, um, young boy, great song. Um, if you want to, and, um, and used to be bad, um, more just kind of like fun bluesy
0: tracks. Right. I'm going to, in a few minutes, I want to talk about some of the bonus tracks that appear on the deluxe edition and what I would have done differently if I was choosing the track list for the album. But, um, I was going to, I wanted to talk about the song souvenir. Uh-huh. Souvenir is track 10 on the album, and this is an example of where listening to podcasts actually can help enrich your appreciation for certain things. So I always liked the track Souvenir. It never really stuck out with me to me, but I have a memory of listening to one of my uh, good friends named uh, Mitchell Axelrod. He is one of the hosts of the fab Four free for all podcast. It used to be before, before that it was, he was one of the hosts of the fab forum, another podcast. And he actually wrote a book called beetle tunes, a really great book about the history of the Beatles cartoon series. Mm -hmm. And I have a memory of listening to Mitch talk about the song souvenir and how much he was a fan of that track. I then went back and listened to souvenir in a more focused way and I got to tell you, it changed my whole appreciation of the track. When I hear "Souvenir" now, I, I guess it's because of the dynamics of the instrumentation, how it could start with a sort of a lighter sound and get into this real rocking, heavier sound. The lyrics, I think, have grown on me. Another example of dramatic Paul poetry, uh, and I just I, I love that track. Um, wh- and listening to Mitch on the uh, talk about it on a podcast really help make me listen to it in a more detailed way. Uh, what are your thoughts on souvenir?
1: I had the same uh, feeling with it. Um, as you did initially in listening to the album, it didn't, it didn't stand out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I had read something and I forget where um, that was talking about like uh, you know, some of overlooked Paul solo songs. And that was one of the ones that was on,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: in the article. And, and I was like, I never really, you know, gave that much thought and listened to it again and found a whole new appreciation for it. Um, and it was very similar to, um, uh, you know, going back to flowers in the dirt, uh, the song, this one, which I never really, you know, never really kind of hit me. Um, right. but it was in the same article and I went back and listened to it and, and and also found a new appreciation for that. So sometimes that happens, you know, you, at first, second, third, listen, there's songs on an album that doesn't really connect with you right away, but then you hear someone talk about it and you give it another chance, start to listen to it from a different light and you realize, you know, Oh wow, that really, I'm, I'm sad that I overlooked that for so long. Sure.
0: But it feels good to rediscover the track
1: It does. It does.
0: Right. Um, another song on the album that I'm a big fan of is a tough song emotionally to listen to, and that's "Little Willow." Another acoustic sounding song. Uh, my understanding is that it was recorded in tribute to Maureen Starkey, who was Ringo's first wife, who passed away of cancer at a young age. The video is very difficult to watch. I don't know if you've remembered the video. It's actually included in the deluxe edition. Um, but it's a beautiful song, very powerful lyrically. It's a beautiful melody. I, there's not much I, I can really add to that, other than to say it is one of my favorite tracks on the album. It's a. Ma- I was actually going to say it's a masterpiece. I don't. I, I don't. That's not a word I use lightly. But it's a beautiful song. Just a beautiful mm-hmm. track. What are your thoughts on Little Willow?
1: Um, definitely a standout track for me as well. Um, yeah. and it's one of those. Um, you know, you listen to it at the time it was written and, um, you know, writing it for, um, Maureen Starkey Ringo's ex wife, and then losing Linda a year later. Sure. Um, it's, it makes it even more poignant.
0: Um, yeah. And and it's
1: kind of like a tribute to both of them in a way.
0: Yeah. And I guess we should take a moment to, um, mention that this is the last project or last album. I should say that, Linda appeared with Paul on. She passed from cancer not long after it's, uh, I guess it's release. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's difficult to see the footage of her in some of the documentary film that that surrounds the album. Um, mm-hmm. She was an immense talent. Uh, I have heard people who know way more than I do about this stuff. Talk about the uniqueness of the wing <laughs> sound and how wings would not have been what it was without her presence and her vocals on those tracks. Um, and I know what they mean. I mean, she had a very distinctive, enjoyable sound. I really like listening to Linda, uh, on some tracks that she was a lead vocalist on, like cook of the house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even her hearing her sing with uh, Paul on something like, I am your singer from the wings wildlife album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, uh, she, she was an immense talent and and from everything I've read and seen a, a wonderful kind person. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, this album, she, she did play a large role in obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the wing sound is uh, really the vocal blend of, of, you know, Paul, Denny Lane and, and Linda. Right. And, um, and you know, that's that, that wouldn't be there without, without her. Absolutely. Um, you know, she had, a she, she didn't have a bad voice. Um, I mean, it wasn't like a, uh, um, an incredible, you know, lead voice, but, you know, she sang, well, she could carry a tune and her voice blended well with Paul's and and with Denny Lane. Um, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Yoko.
0: (laughs) Some of the Yoko tracks have gone on me, grown on me. I must say. Which, which ones, which ones? Um every man loves every man needs a woman. Okay. Right, that's from no, Double was, Fantasy. Yeah, I was going to
1: say that, that I could listen a lot to the Yoko Double Fantasy tracks.
0: I, that's um, what I was talking about. Those
1: are the ones that kind of yeah. like kiss kiss kiss. Yeah, they kiss 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 and um and uh, even uh I'm your angel.
0: That's a good song. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, because you know what? At that point, uh, John said something um around that time about how he's he started to realize Yoko's influence when he heard like the B fifty twos and like Rock Lobster.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And um and then you listen to Rock Lobster after hearing that and you're like, yeah, okay, I I got it. that.
0: You can um, definitely see it. Dan, I want to talk next about the song Beautiful Night. Beautiful Night is the next to last track on the album. And it's a big deal. And what I mean by that is that George Martin produced it. Ringo played drums on it. It had that classic McCartney piano sound. When you were talking about Driving Rain earlier in the episode, I kind of thought to myself that your loving flame from that album is the beautiful night from Flaming Pie. It's kind of that same type of feel of the love, love song Beautiful Night is a better song, in my opinion. Um, yes. One thing about... Be- I, I really like Beautiful Night. I can't say I love it. Maybe it's because it, to me, is a little overplayed. It's the kind of song I can't listen to all the time. There's mm-hmm. one part of the song which I really love. Um, it's not the first time in the song where Paul sings, make it a beautiful night. Not then. And not the second time. But... Later on, in the, I, I can't pinpoint the moment, but there's something in the uh, instrumentation, the way the strings blend with a – it seems to be a small chord change in the way it's played. That mm-hmm. to me is one of my favorite tracks, maybe on any McCartney solo record. I wish I could – I should have identified where in the song it actually appears from a yeah. time standpoint. But um, what are your thoughts on Beautiful Night?
1: I like Beautiful Night. Um, you know, I kind of get a little nostalgic in the outro. Cause I think you get at, at, as the song is, is, is ending, you kind of get that, uh, it, it sounds weird to say you feel, you start to feel Ringo on the track, Oh yeah, you know, um, his drumming, you could you could hear, you know, the, uh, Ringo vocals, Sorry. um, in the background there. And I don't know, it kind of, it brings me a little bit back to, um, uh, Abbey road and, and carry that weight and. I don't know. It just kind of takes me there. So uh, yeah. I like it for that, that little hint of nostalgia.
0: Especially because on Abbey Road, Ringo's presence was particularly felt towards the end of that album with his uh, famous mm-hmm. drum solo. Here, towards the end of Flaming Pie, he's getting a major standout spot on the track as well. Yeah. Um, trying to think what other... Uh, one other th- song I did want to highlight before we talk a little bit about the box set. I happen to be a big fan of the song Heaven on a Sunday, which Mm -hmm. uh, is track eight on the album, Uh, Paul's son James plays guitar on that album, on on that track, you know, in Paul's catalog, there are the occasional songs that kind of take you for a loop. You're not expecting that sound on the album. An example of this would be on his Egypt Station album, the track uh, Back in Brazil. Uh That's the name of that track, right? I mean, I, uh, back in Brazil. Yeah. Um, I love that track. I really do. I know that for a lot of people that was not necessarily one of their favorites from that album, but to me, it's this unexpected sound. Uh, he does that on other tracks in his catalog with heaven on a Sunday. To me, it's a very unexpected sound. It's kind of got this smooth jazz sound, very laid back, Mm -hmm. easy listening vibe. Um, I love the guitar sound in the, in the middle of the track. I think it's very exciting. Um, lyrically, I kind of like the idea of what he's singing about. Uh, mm-hmm. it just to me is something. And I happen to love the, the coda to the track where you hear Linda's vocal in a very nice way. Um, combined with the reduction in the instrumentation that it's just, it's just a cool vibe in that track. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, it reminded me a little bit of bluebird from band on the run, that kind of same jazzy laid back feel to it. Um, but I, I love the guitar sound on it too. Uh, during the solo very, um uh, Reminiscent of uh, David Gilmore's sound and playing style, um, mm-hmm. and I think it adds a, a great dimension to the track,
0: right? yeah, it's a good song. It's a very, very good track. Um, and you know, there's other songs on the album that I really like the song we song we were singing. Um, mm-hmm. some days we should we should mention some days. some days is an acoustic sounding track on the album, very often been compared to yesterday in terms of the sound on the track and I, I happen to really like it. I think it's another example of Paul's masterful lyrical ability. Um, before we get to the deluxe box set, say say something about "Some Days" because it is a standout track.
1: Um, yeah, it it, it, it is a, a definitely a standout track. It's and, and honestly, to be fair, it's one of those that I initially kind of I, I don't want to say it's skipped over but um it didn't i didn't pick up on it right away right um and then later on um on further listens like really started to appreciate it um and uh it's just one of those great you know i think one of the, the marks of a good album is that one you can you can listen to it all the way through um but also that you find these like hidden gems in there among the standout tracks and the singles right. and i think that's one of the things that makes flaming pie such a great record is that you have tracks like some days and 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 heaven on a sunday and souvenir and little willow that um may not have been um the single releases but are just as good and sometimes if not better than the songs that were released as a single.
0: I agree with that. Um, Many artists have released songs as singles that when you hear the album that the single is on, you wonder why they released that as a single. Dan, I think you know from listening to the show that I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, and so is Joe, my co-host. Yes. That is the <laughs> yes. Taylor Swift phenomenon. Why does she release certain songs as a single when there's so many other better tracks on the Ultimate Album? That's one of the reasons I think right. Rob Sheffield from Rolling Stone compares Taylor and Paul. But um, because Paul, for example, with Driving Rain, he released the first single was from A Lover to a Friend, if I recall correctly. Yes, yes, Not it a was. good song choice for a single. <laughs> not, not no, a good... no. Um, but... Uh, you're right. Uh, and Flaming Pies is, is a great example of that. You listen to the tracks and there's things that you don't expect to stand out or when you hear them you're like, "Oh yeah, this is this yeah, is better than song. than what was yep. released as a single." Uh, Dan, on the deluxe edition of the box set, which is it, it's it's massive. I mean, it's it, it is very expensive. Uh, it is available on streaming services if for those that just want to hear the music from it. One of the things I wanted to mention to you, and this to me actually is my number one takeaway, I think, from the deluxe edition of this box set. There are two tracks on this bonus edition, which to me are some of my favorites in the McCartney solo catalog. Why those songs were not included on the uh, official Flaming Pie release, I will never understand. Now, they were included, I believe, as B-sides to the Beautiful Night single if I recall correctly, and I think both were recorded in the late eighties. So they weren't contemporaneously recorded, but one of those tracks is same love. And the other one is love come tumbling down. Now I first heard love come tumbling down a few years ago. Um, yeah. It's not an amazing song. It's not like you listen to it and say, Oh yeah, that's a later day. Let it be. I'm not saying that at all, but to me it was so catchy that I love, I love the sound and then same love. I admit I was not familiar with and I'm listening to the deluxe edition of Flaming Pie, and I'd seen some chatter on Twitter that, oh, same love, this is such an amazing track. Dan, I heard this song, I was blown away. I was absolutely in awe of this song. It was McCartney perfection at its finest, better than some of the McCartney's greatest hits, in my opinion. And <coughs> I, uh, that, those two tracks alone are worth the price of admission for this. Uh, Not not asking you to agree with me, (laughs) but but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on those tracks, particularly Same Love.
1: I myself definitely would have taken, you know, uh, those two over um, if you want to. Yes. Or used to be bad um, or even
0: really love you.
1: Yeah. Or even really love you, because that's just kind of like a jam with Ringo kind of deal. And I like um, that, but it's not like these songs. Right. I, I think if those, they were added to the track list instead of any of the songs that we named, um, it would have made the album even better. Yes. Even stronger. Um, may have beat out uh, Time Out of Mind for the album of the year Grammy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it would have cemented it as a true McCartney classic. Yeah, Um, I don't know sometimes what goes into the decision to leave tracks off an album in favor of other tracks you know and that's something that even with numerous artists it happens um, but even like looking back at the Beatles career like I, I often wonder why you know you had George cut a song like not guilty, mm-hmm. and that was left off in favor of piggies or
0: <laughs> cowboy trouble, or yeah.
1: you know why why that call was made. Like, no, not that one. Or this this one is better. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I, I sometimes you wish you could be in the room to hear. Sure. The decision making on that. Um, is, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know if maybe you know sometimes. Um, you're thinking ahead and you know there were songs on this album that were um, you know leftovers or written at different times you know Beautiful Night goes back to 86 during the press to play era Um, Calico Skies was written in 91 Um, Great Day I think was cut during the off the ground um, sessions I didn't know that. Um, and I, I Interesting. yeah, and I think maybe sometimes you know, as an artist, you're thinking ahead, and um, you know, I know one of the things you know Paul thought about flaming pie, said about flaming pie, was that after um, off the ground, he was already starting to prep for the next album, and then the anthology project came, and it gave him about a four to five year period of not having to worry about an album, right? Because he was focused on this, and this was, was going to be so much publicity. And then he could, you know, worry about that afterwards. And it kind of really gave him time to amass the material that he wanted for Flaming Pie. But I think maybe, you know, artists sit down and look at the songs. And maybe those were two where Paul was looking at what he had for Flaming Pie and was like, you know, this is pretty strong. I could hold these off for the next album. Yeah. And then we don't know what life brings. And then everything with Linda, uh, Linda's passing and that and, you know, kind of
0: sidetracked as to what he put out next. But. I think that's um, a very good analysis. And there are some times where songs are included on albums. And to me, they're, perf- they're perfect tracks. And they don't achieve any success or get any attention. An example of this oh yeah. would be uh, From Press to Play, Through uh, Only Love Remains, which is a mm-hmm. great McCarty track. Or From Pipes of Peace, uh, the closing track, Through Our Love, which is an epic, glorious-sounding track. Mm-hmm. Didn't uh, make any dent in the public consciousness. Yeah. I mean, go back to, uh,
1: going way, way back to Ram. I mean, there's so many tracks on Ram that I think are incredible standout tracks from, you know, the opening Too Many People um, to Monkberry Moon Delight um, uh, and Backseat of My Car, which didn't get, I feel, the recognition it deserved until, like the Wingspan album came out and people were revisiting sort of that back catalog. Yeah. But if you listen to Backseat of My Car, that is an incredible track. Love it. Um, Love that song. You know, and it's Paul kind of, uh, Paul paying tribute to Brian Wilson, I feel. And, uh, kind of like that beach boy sound and the Brian Wilson style of writing and producing but not in a way that makes it like a pastiche or something cheesy right. or like a like a, a one like a kind of like a kind of throwaway tribute. Right, it's an agreed. incredible, incredible song.
0: It's one of my favorite tracks in the McCartney catalog. It's got the McCartney touch, but like you said, it also is a, it is definitely a Brian Wilson inspired track. Mm-hmm. Um, but not a copy of a Brian track. Still very much his own. Uh, One example of a a Paul song, which I've always been a big fan of since the time I first heard it, that was not a big hit with the public, but which is slowly gaining traction, is Arrow Through Me, from the Wings Back to the Egg album. That song has been featured in, it's a great show, I've talked about it on the podcast here before, High Fidelity, which was just unfortunately canceled by Hulu. But it was featured in that. Um, It's been covered by several other artists. It's kind of had its reputation grow very much an R&B reputation. Uh, I love "Arrow Through Me." That's just one that has, I think, increased in stature over the years.
1: Yeah, and a- "Arrow Through Me" is a a great track yeah. um, from you know an album that usually gets derided. You know, "Back to the Egg" is
0: yeah usually
1: not. Uh, but there's some good, there's getting closer. Um, you know, "Arrow Through Me" is a great track. I like uh, "Old Siam Sir." sure um,
0: again and again and again, again and again and again. Um, Winter rose, love awake. That whole medley is great. Yeah,
1: yep, yeah. and and even the, um, the the singles around that time. Um, uh, good night tonight. Great track. and uh, daytime, nighttime suffering. You know, there there was some really solid songs in that era, and I mean, Wings was playing coming up live. During that time, you know, and that was uh, so a lot of great material in that back to the egg period,
0: you know, that gets overlooked. It's interesting, Dan, as we're talking tonight about mostly Flaming Pie, because we we feel Flaming Pie is a showcase for Paul's amazing talents. It's led to this broader discussion of his post Beatles work and how much great stuff is out there. So I would encourage our listeners that may not be familiar with his post Beatles catalog to go listen to these songs we're speaking about, Uh, give them a chance because they are really great tracks. Um, I wanted to ask you, Dan, just a couple other things about the box set. Uh, What, what are you a a very broad question? What are you a fan of in terms of the bonus material outside of the same love and love come tumbling down?
1: Um, I'm a fan of the uh, the home recordings. Um, I really like listening to those, um similar to the release of the Escher demos on the White Album set a couple yeah. years back. Um getting to hear the songs in their um, in their infancy um, and and kind of hearing what they sounded like um, at the very beginning. And, and then what they became. And, and there's some that you don't hear too much difference in. Um, and then there's others where it's really, you know, um, eye-opening to see how it started and where it got to. And, you know, I used The World Tonight earlier as when you hear the home recording um, and then you listen to the finished track. Sure. You get an appreciation for, um, you know, the Jeff Lynne touch that was brought to it and what it became. Um, I was like, blown away um, with uh, the home recording of the song we were singing and the parts of the song that we that didn't make it to the final cut of the record right the final song you know and and there were a couple of times when I was listening to it that I was like it's are we in a different song now I've never heard this before <laughs> right uh, and then had to go back and check I was like oh no this is this is the song we were singing um, it's really cool I um, opening experience to hear those early um, those early uh, uh, recordings Um, and then some of the in the studio stuff as the, as the tracks were coming together. Um, You know, for me, uh, there's like, I don't know if it was necessary to include six parts of Boo Jubu. (laughs) Right. Um. I I think maybe that could have been left off for other content, if there was other content. Um, There were some things in those that I found interesting, but, you know, some of it I felt was not needed, you know, Mm kind
0: of superfluous. Ubu Juba, I think, would be great as its own entity to have this great Juba box set. Yeah, mm -hmm. mm-hmm. I felt
1: it kind of took away from, from the whole flaming pie experience mm-hmm.
0: i see that yeah i see that i um i'll be honest with you i haven't had a chance to get into the book yet have you had a chance to look at that stuff i ha- i haven't got a chance to do that yeah. yet as i'm sure as with all of the other paul McCartney archive deluxe editions it's impressive certainly from watching videos on youtube of unboxing um yeah I, I, it certainly looks impressive and uh I'm eager to get into that. I did watch one of the DVDs that came with the set, which included music videos from the time period. A really good interview, or, or it wasn't the full interview, but it was clips from an interview that David Frost conducted with McCartney, uh, in which he talked about when he met Linda. Some of the stuff I had heard before, but I thought it was more than the usual stuff we're used to hearing. It was very uh, interesting. Right. Um Live performances from a couple shows. One of them was Young Boy. One of them was uh, The World Tonight, I guess. I um, can't remember for sure, but it's amazing. I watched it, I think, last night. I can't remember what, <laughs> what I, I watched. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, yeah, I mean, uh, overall, I think when you look at all of the releases that have been part of the Paul McCartney Archive Collection, they really are an impressive set. And Flaming Pie, I guess, is the most recent of his albums to be released in a deluxe-type archive edition, right? I don't think there's anything that's a post-Flaming Pie album. No. Yeah. Yeah, Flaming Flaming Pie is the most recent. So, Dan, I want two, two questions as we wrap up our Flaming Pie discussion. One... I wanted you to tell us where you rank Flaming Pie in the post-Beatles catalog. Let's include Wings albums in there as well, just in terms of Paul's work. And my second... uh, I'll answer these after you. And the second question is, as a fan, what would you like the next two archive collection releases to be?
1: Where Flaming Pie ranks in Paul's work, including...
0: um... Do you think it's fair to include it with the Wings? Am I being too... uh, Is that...
1: I think it's fair to include it with the wings. I mean, I think if you're gonna choose, like, uh, I, I honestly would put Flaming Pie maybe in the top three mm-hmm. for me. Um, I think you know, number one is definitely "Band on the Run," um, it, you know, representing like the apex of you know, like Paul's solo career. I think "Band mm-hmm. on the Run" is is probably his best work. Um, I would have to say, yeah, Flaming Pie would probably come in um, not shortly behind that. Right. Um, I I really um, enjoy uh, McCartney the, the the first solo record for its homespun quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ram is an excellent album
0: as well. Um, I would rank Flaming Pie up with those mm-hmm. personally. And in terms of what you would like the next two archive releases to be, what would you say?
1: Um, That is a good question. Um, I think they're recent, but I think I would like to see something regarding chaos and creation and uh, Memory Almost Full. Okay,
0: those are good choices. Um, Well, I'll, I'll answer those two real quick. In terms of where I rank Flaming Pie... Uh, I, I agree with your assessment, top three. Where it goes in the top three is very tough to say because there are there's a lot of strong stuff out there. I love Band on the Run, but I have to be honest with you. I like Ram more. That is not an insult on the Band on the Run album. It's had a tremendous yeah. impact on my life. But um, <laughs> just like Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> or any of those other books. <laughs> just like the Bram Stoker's well- Dracula from 92. <laughs>
1: Well, I think, you know, I think Ram has, a. I uh, I mean, I, I love Ram. I think Ram is a great, great record. Um, I think, um, band on the run is more, is a more cohesive work. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the reasons why I like, I give band on the run, the, 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 the um, the plaudits, um, that, I mean, a lot of critics give it. But its I think it's the most cohesive work um, by a Beatle since Abbey Road.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
1: Um, I, I think it's one of the few of an entire Beatle, Beatle solo car, uh, catalog that you can look at a, a work and say, this is the closest that anyone came to replicating something on the level of an Abbey Road.
0: It um, is your- it's definitely a work of art from start to finish in terms of the open and close of the album and it's weaving together. Yeah. Um,
1: but Ram is Ram is excellent. And Ram is, de- I mean, Ram is definitely heads and tails above wildlife. A good and, um, and, and, uh, Red Rose Speedway. Um, you know, it's those, those early wings yeah. records. Um, but again, I, I feel like sometimes with Ram, it's, it's very similar to uh, McCartney 1, but a little bit more produced. And, yes. um, and sometimes I go back and forth with like, which I like better. Do I like the more produced um, aspect or the more like homespun DIY uh, approach? Right. Um, but I love Ram. Ram's a great record. I feel like if I had to choose like three records, if someone said to me, um, choose three records, three is tough. Um, I'll say four, four records for people to listen to, to kind of get the gist of a Paul McCartney solo career. Yes. It would be Ram. Okay. Ram band on the run. Um, tug of war. Ooh, tug of and, war. <laughs> Tug of War and Flaming Pie. And I feel like for someone just beginning to listen, like take those four and digest them and then
0: come back and we'll give you more. And if we could expand that, I would throw on their Flowers in the Dirt and Chaos and Creation.
1: Yeah, if you were, if we do six,
0: those would be good additions. How about 15? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could do 15. <laughs> but um, it's, it's it's really remarkable the music he paul has given us over the years um and then in terms of what i would like to see is the next two archive releases um with you 100 on chaos and creation in the backyard it's one of my favorite paul albums It tremendous work uh and then i was actually going to say back to the egg i would love to see it back to the egg archive collection um there is a lot of strong stuff on the album like like you were saying earlier i think that could be good
1: that could be good. It was a good lineup, too. Lawrence Druber was an excellent guitarist. And oh, it's a okay. shame that we didn't get to hear more of his work with
0: Paul because of. Agreed. Agreed. You know, short lived uh, Wings lineup. So, then, I guess this, it's fair to say that Flaming Pie, the reissue, gets two thumbs up from us. Um, everyone go check it out. And we'll be talking about more Paul solo stuff on here because, based on our conversation tonight, there is a lot more to cover. Yeah,
1: there, there's, there's a whole lot more to cover.
0: Uh, let's turn now to the... Oh, by the way, before we get to the stuff we love, let me just tell our listeners that the reissue of Flaming Pie came out in multiple formats. So you have this massive deluxe edition. You have a two-CD set. You have a one-CD set. There's all different configurations as well as vinyl releases as well. So whatever you're interested in, it's available to you. Mm-hmm. The. Um, it's time now in the podcast to get to the Stuff We Love segment. This is the part of the show where tonight Dan and I are going to be giving you a recommendation for something we are enjoying right now, other than the Flaming Pie box set. Um, Dan, what's your stuff we love tonight?
1: Um, so going back into classic TV, <laughs> nice. aside from Saved by the Bell, um, and it was, it's funny that you said that you've been watching, uh, you watch Saved by the Bell and, uh, and Full House. Um, I've been dipping into another uh, Miller Boyette TV show of the past, And uh, rediscovering Perfect Strangers,
0: okay, um, sure, on
1: Hulu, and um, love that show as a kid when it was out, and um, and just started revisiting it again, and um, still love it. (laughs) Some uh, was it some like thirty something years later. um, It's just it's just a great show, and I mean the Balky character is. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, pop culture gold. Um, it is, for sure. And uh, it's it's funny to kind of like um, watch Beverly Hills Cop and uh, seeing Bronson Pinchot as uh, Serge as and how that kind of <laughs> morphed into uh, Balky two years later. Sure. Um, I mean, he's an excellent character actor. Um, the Balky character is great. Um, the the chemistry with him and Mark Lynn baker and it's one of those things that like on paper it hit it or miss it could be one of those shows that's a flash in the pan and it's gone but um, it's a classic show it, it lasted from 86 to 93 it had a great run and mm-hmm. it's one of those shows that like cements itself in the annals of uh, classic sitcoms so um if you if people haven't seen Perfect Strangers on Hulu, uh, if you need something to binge, you know, binge it. And for those who have seen it, it's great to uh, revisit.
0: So here's my question for you about Perfect Strangers and Saved by the Bell. Any of these classic shows that you're now going back and rewatching, when you sit down at your TV and you open up the Hulu and you want to you say, okay, I'm going to watch an episode of Perfect Strangers. Do you go in chronological order rewatching the whole show, or do you just go to a random episode that's part of the show?
1: You know, what I and I did this with Saved by the Bell, too, is I started with episodes I remembered.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, I started with, like, um, save, I mean, Saved by the Bell is, is easier because people are more familiar with it, but it's, like, what got me started watching Saved by the Bell again is the whole Jesse Spano, caffeine pill, I'm so excited thing. I was talking,
0: Famous texting episode. with my sister.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was texting with my sister, and she sent me um, a, a GIF of... That I'm so excited, and I was like, "Oh!" And then it got stuck in my head. I'm like, "I'm going to watch that episode of Saved by the Bell." So I started with that, and then I started remembering other episodes. Yes. So I was like, "Oh, I'm going to watch the rockumentary episode next," and I'm going to. And so it was the same kind of thing. I started Friends started right? Of, yep. The Zach attack, and uh, Zach. I started with episodes I remembered, and then kind of went from there.
0: So, Dan, uh, this is not, not my stuff. We love, although it could be. Uh, but since we're talking Saved by the Bell, there is a brand new podcast out called Zach to the Future. And what it is is that <laughs> Mark Paul Gossler is going back with a co-host and re-watching every episode one by one of Saved by the Bell. He apparently hadn't watched most of these in a long time and giving his thoughts on each episode. So that's something you may want to consider listening to. Watch the episode. Listen to the podcast. It's kind of fun to do. Awesome. I'll check that out. So uh great stuff. We love recommendation, Dan. Uh tonight, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna give actually two just really quick, because they've both been uh things I've been listening to recently. Um the first one just came out, so it's hot off the press. Uh it's an album of John Williams conducting the Vienna Philharmonic, and it features many of his classic film scores. And earlier at the beginning of the episode, I said there was something I was going to ask you at the end because it tied into my Stuff We Love. Right. So here's my question for you. Uh, one of the tracks that's featured on this album is the Jaws theme. Where do you rank, you mentioned Jaws as perhaps your favorite movie of all time, you would say. Where do you rank the Jaws theme in the John Williams theme catalog? I mean, you got Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., close of, uh, Harry Potter, <laughs> Close Encounters of, mm-hmm. of the Third Kind, uh, Jurassic Park, and so on. Where do you rank it? From? I would rank it, probably third third what's one and two? Third.
1: um one and two would be uh indiana jones right the raiders march
0: yeah um
1: and two would be the imperial march the imperial march prior. okay
0: yeah you like the but Imperial that, you know, march, march more than the main title
1: i do i mm-hmm. do i mean and the main title is great but um I feel like one of the things, at least for me, is um, if you can hear the, um, the score and it gives you goosebumps, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, you know, that's like a, a major thing. Um, and those those three do it for me. Uh, the Raiders' March, the Imperial March, the Jaws theme. Um, it's just, uh,
0: Yeah. That's the John Williams gift right there. He has this ability to write these film scores, which really move the listener emotionally in ways that classical scores may not always do. Um, It's almost with John Williams, I feel that when I listen to his film scores while not watching the films, the films are playing in my mind very vividly. And that's a testament to his songwriting ability. Um, So that was my first stuff we love The second one is a YouTube channel that my friend Matt introduced me to. Uh, In addition to the music of the Beatles playing a major role in my musical fandom over the years i'm also a big fan of 90s r&b i grew up listening to artists like boys to men and other artists from that time period and there's this really great youtube channel called r&b nights which is devoted to r&b from the 80s and the 90s and features a tremendous amount of live performances from that time period the type of stuff where you could see boys to men and brian brian mcknight performing let it snow uh, to Shanice doing a version of I Love Your Smile from MTV Unplugged, all these great '90s R&B classics that are available. So you could listen to Flaming Pie, and then you could go listen to Boys to Men, and listen to their cover of Yesterday. By the way, Boys to Men's cover of Yesterday, which is on their two album, the last track is one of the best Beatles covers I've ever heard. So it's good stuff, my friend. Good stuff all around. Awesome, awesome stuff. Dan, thank you for joining us again on this podcast. We'll have to do more Paul episodes. And I also want to have you on with Scott again, our, another Scott who's been on the podcast a bunch to do one of our playlist episodes. That 60s playlist got a lot of feedback. People really like that. I don't know if I t- share that with you, but I was getting feedback from a bunch of listeners and some were even submitting me playlists that they would make. It was really cool.
1: That's awesome. That was that was a, a lot of fun. Very difficult. Yes. Um, but I, I think we could do a part two, a part three of that. Um and we can get into other decades as well.
0: I'm going to um, I'm gonna ask you for that next one. You choose the topic, the theme, whatever you want the playlist to be. Then we'll for the one after that we'll go to Scott. We'll kind of just rotate around the three of us in terms of okay, what cool. the theme should be. That'll be a lot of fun. Um awesome. I'm gonna take a moment to tell our listeners where they could find the podcast online. We do have a brand new website because we're now hosted by Podbean. So our website is stuff dot you can write to us stuff. love podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to the show on multiple podcast streaming services, including TuneIn radio. We just became available on there this past week. We're on Twitter at stuff. We love pod Instagram at stuff. We love podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and we also have a YouTube page. So uh, Dan, as we, uh, head towards the end of August in this very strange year, I wish you uh, good health and happiness and, uh, Let's hope for better times for the world soon, right? Yes, definitely. Um, Dan, thank you again, man. Great to be with you tonight. Oh,
1: thank you, Scott. It's always a pleasure.
0: And as always, we conclude by going around the table. It's just a table for two tonight. So I am Scott. I'm Dan. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.